Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey Pediocast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me for a special uh, three-way mock draft, it's my good friends, Rachel Dory, Cam Robinson. What's going on? How are we doing, gang? Yeah, nice and early start for us this morning, and uh, I feel like we're going to spit some fire, though. I feel like, yeah, there's there's a lot of fire about to be coming. This is... Uh... This is exciting. I, I like doing these, these three-way shows, although I feel like, uh, like Cam, you and I did one with Chris Peters. We did the uh, mock draft version 1.0 in the first week of May during uh, kind of simpler times when we still thought, when we didn't know when the NHL draft was going to be, but we thought they might rush it uh, to fill the sports void with no games in early June. But I felt like when we were doing that, um, the first like 10, 15 minutes are kind of like a touch and feel period where you're trying to figure out, you don't want to step on each other's toes and you're like figuring out who's going to speak. And then once you get going into it, all of a sudden we're just like going back and forth and, and, and find a rhythm. So hopefully uh, the three of us will be able to repeat that success this time around. I got a good feeling about it. Rachel and I have been doing some podcasts here recently too. So we're, uh, we're on a, we're on a good vibe, I think. Yeah. Is this a, is this an elite prospect staff meeting or something that I'm, that I'm sitting <laughs> on? Like what's going on here? That's pretty much what's going on. <laughs> um, all right, so we'll do we'll touch on a little bit of a, a draft philosophy or, or sort of methodology before we get into the mock draft. Um, how are you two you feeling ab- about this? Because obviously it's a very sort of unprecedented year in terms of the scheduling and, and having an October draft. Um, I know, like Cam, you especially have been releasing so many different quote unquote final versions of your draft board, including one just before we uh, we went on the air today, but. Is, do you think it's kind of like a point of diminishing returns where at a certain point you're just sort of talking yourself into a pretzel because you're going over the same stuff over and over again and, you, and, you're, and you're sort of uh, nitpicking where nitpicking might not even be needed? Or do you think just because there is so much stuff to parse and so much tape to go through that that extra period of time will actually benefit teams because they'll be more prepared than ever before? 
I think I always talk myself into a pretzel personally, but uh, whether it's extended draft season or not, but uh, I saw an interesting quote from, from one of the, the top guys in Ottawa there saying that, you know, that the recent play over in Europe isn't impacting their board because their work is done. And to me, the work is never done until the draft pick is made. And so I'm, I'm happy to take all the information that I can glean, whether it's watching old tape through, you know, August, September, or it's watching these kids play this morning, you know, I had a league game up here as we were waiting to, to record. So take it all in that you can. And yes, you know, it does come down to a little bit of, you know, I've made this board so many times, uh, you know, moving a guy up a spot or down a spot isn't really going to make a big difference at this point and, and there shouldn't be any wild swings but at the same time you know like a, a kid like Lucas Raymond's coming back he's getting deployment he's looking bigger he's looking stronger he's looking a little bit quicker um, that should be something that you take into consideration when you're looking at a draft pick because normally you're picking them in June and you're hoping they come back bigger and stronger and faster and so you get this little window um, I think it's a real opportunity for teams that have scouting staffs that were working the video you know throughout the summer and not just kind of resting on their laurels and being like you know what i saw the kid 10 times during the season that's all i need yeah i think for me i'm one of the things i'm noticing is i feel like there's more galaxy braining going on now because we've had this extra few months of of work and i know that some teams have been definitely watching a ton of video and and other teams less so but i think that i'm always of the belief that the more you watch a player the more you nitpick so I mean, Cam and I are definitely the two most staunch supporters of Byfield at EP, and I've watched Quinton play since he was, like, six. So if anyone's going to overanalyze him, it's going to be me. And to me, there's just so much overanalysis going on that people are talking themselves into dropping Lucas Raymond to, like, eight or nine, which seems very silly to me. Or putting Jack Quinn at five, which is equally as silly to me. Um, so I just think that, yes, watching tape it is really good, but I think you need to be careful to not try and find things that aren't necessarily there. Yeah. Well, the thing I respect about Cam, and we're going to get into Byfield at, at one on his board here soon, but like you've had that since the very beginning, and I, I respect you sticking to it. I think when you have this like drawn-out process, especially for people that have to keep either releasing updated ranks or have to go on like TV or radio frequently and basically talk about the same stuff over and over again. It like, I feel like it lends itself to sort of eventually at some point you're like, Hmm, like, ah, you know, have we considered maybe that this guy should be going slightly higher than, uh, than other people think. And then you like lead to like, like some sort of like intellectual dishonesty sort of where you don't actually maybe even believe it, but just because you've been talking about this so much, you sort of start talking yourself slowly into it a little bit. I feel like part of that happens as well, because you'd think that with this draft, considering everyone is sort of working with the same material and has been for the past, whatever, five or six months since, since games really stopped, you'd think that we'd all kind of converge to a relative consensus because we're all working with the same stuff. But instead I've, I feel like it's the opposite where you look and there's just so much disagreement, even in like the top five or six in terms of where people should go. And that's really, really interesting to me. And obviously it's going to lend itself to a great uh, product of entertainment at the draft because we don't know what's going to happen and it's going to be fascinating to find out. But it, it it's a bit of a surprising development for me because I would have figured it'd be the opposite. I think that's what 
makes this business so unique and so wonderful too is that you know we can sit down the three of us watch the same game focus in on the same players and at the end of it we can see different things we can see positives and negatives and look for projectable skills and and you know to have that discourse and to be able to chat about it and you know bounce ideas off of smart people you know i, I learn a ton of things from other people chatting about this stuff. You know, our, our EP ringside Slack group is just full of great stuff that, you know, I'm constantly learning and, and, you know, someone provides a different vantage point and I'm like, Oh, you know, I go back and I reassess, but you know, I, I, everyone's going to value different skills and different traits, different abilities, and that's going to go into their list building. And so I try not to, I try not to, you know, downplay other people's opinions even if they go all galaxy brain and they want jack quinn at five or they want lucas raymond at 10 uh, byfield at five things like that uh, you know it's it's easy to be like that is not at all what i think and so i think you are silly um because at the same time you know people might say the same thing about some of your takes too that you have personally and at the end of the day no one really knows what's right until we're five ten years down the road and then then we can point the fingers i mean one area where I'll disagree with you is one scout in Bob McKenzie's final draft rankings had Marco Rossi at 18 on his board. Okay, and yeah, that's I feel well. confident saying that person should have their opinions on hockey revoked. They're not allowed to talk about hockey anymore. I that's saw it. someone Take on Twitter that had Lafreniere at four. So there was also that. That's bold. That's bold. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's like, one word for it. I don't know, I mean, maybe two? I mean, okay, so... Normally, I'd say in a typical year, there, there's quite a bit of recency bias, right? Especially for, for big tournaments where if someone has a monster showing at either the World Juniors or the Memorial Cup, like everyone's watching and it kind of, it, it can do a lot for your draft stock. It's been so long for most of these players since they have played hockey. I would have said that's going to kind of eliminate that re- recency bias. But Cam, as you're mentioning, now we're seeing games in the Swedish league and in the KHL playing. And when like you watch a guy like Yaroslav Askarov all of a sudden come out of the gate with three awesome performances, like it's hard not to take stock of that, which is why I think it's, it's, it's incorrect to be not be accounting for that. If you're running an NHL team at this point, like you certainly don't want it to completely sway your opinion and throw everything you thought out the window before. But it's just new information and you need to be able to adapt to it on the fly. Otherwise I think you're doing it wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I talk about that, that originally it looked like we'd probably be the furthest thing from recency bias this year with no hockey being played and not knowing when the draft was going to be to having potentially the biggest recency biased opportunity for some of these kids because it's not everyone playing too, right? So we have a whole, all these North American kids that are sitting at home just being like, ah, watching these kids over in Europe uh, and Russia have an opportunity to showcase their development. And, you know, so consequently, we see agents are, are really pulling for their players. Like I've gotten several texts from, from different agents being like, you should see the work he's done on his skating stride. And it's like great to hear, uh, you know, you might have a little bit of a vested interest in telling me all these positive things that I don't get to watch myself. But uh, but no, it's it's definitely it's it's an opportunity for these players to to build on their game and to give a GM or a head scout one last look to be like, holy smokes, maybe maybe he's better than we thought while these other kids don't have that chance so it's a really complex situation this year and unfortunate for some and beneficial for others but you know that's just the way life works all right one one final thing before we get into the mock so i've been thinking long and hard the past however long about sort of ways to maximize draft value in 2020 because it feels like for the most part People are getting smarter. People are, are sort of reading the same work. They're at least sort of paying attention. They're obviously, you know, different teams are going to, uh, 
value different things, but at least we're, there's kind of like a general awareness more so I think now and, and, and sort of a bit of a group think. And especially when it comes to like draft pick value charts, for example, I think you're not going to see like completely outlandish moves where a team is just trading a King's ransom to move up. But in, in 2020, like what do you think is still kind of an undervalued or, um, underappreciated tactic in terms of whether it's looking for player types, whether it is certain picking at certain regions of the draft, uh, or do you think like picks in, in the middle of the first round are, are overvalued and maybe if anything, you should be moving back and, and getting more volume. Like, like where do you think in 2020 there's still value to be gleaned? Okay. So I'm actually doing this as my master's thesis. So I started mm-hmm. looking into this kind of stuff and there's definitely like all the obvious ones. Um, but in terms of getting actual value for picks, once you're basically past like 14, 15, um, and even at that range, it's actually better to trade back and accumulate. Let's say you can get a late first and a second round pick that tends to actually have more value in terms of player performance than getting, um, a player kind of in the mid first round because the drop off, the average drop off usually from like the top five down to 15 um, is is pretty big. Now, I would say this year there is an opportunity to get some players who have star potential kind of in the in the teens, um, just because I think I think it's a top heavy draft. Um, but I would say trading back is definitely an area that that teams should look at. Um, and I can't believe this still needs to be said, but draft the best player available because that is apparently being overthought and overlooked. Um, there's underscouting that happens in certain leagues. So like the MHL and the VHL are severely underscouted. Um, even some of like the second Swedish and Finnish leagues are underscouted, whereas you have the CHL being grossly overscouted. So I think there's bias there as well. I mean, I don't know. Don't you think the Canucks taking Ole Yolevi over uh, Matthew Kachuk because they'd already drafted Jake Vertan in two years prior worked out pretty well for them? I think you should. That's, a, that's yeah. a home run move, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean who, who, it's, it's hilarious to think that, like, there's so much uncertainty. Like, I don't even know, like, what's going to happen next week. Trying to, like, map out what your organization is going to look like three to five years from now is, like, it's it's so ridiculous. Just get as many good yeah, players it would as you can literally and figure it out be- yeah, like it would literally be like the Ottawa Senators saying we aren't going to draft Jamie Drysdale, let's say, or even like Braden Schneider with one of their later first round picks because we already have Thomas Shabbat. No, uh, if he's the best player available, please take him. Like it's There's no law against having too many good players. And I feel like teams might forget about that sometimes. I So there, there were actually two... Maybe I'm kind of stepping on my own toes here because I was like, everyone does have the same sort of draft pick value charts. But last year at the draft, there were two trade downs that I really liked. So the the Flyers sucker the Coyotes into uh, falling in love with Victor Soderstrom, and they traded them 11 for 14 and 45. And then they used 45 and 65 to move up on day two and move up to 34. And I mean, just like the two players they could have got for the pick they originally had is tremendous. And then for the Hurricanes, they moved. Uh, 37 for 48 44 and 83 and they just basically got Anthony Honka for free at 83 just out of out of thin air so I, I there's still I think opportunities to uh take advantage of it because as analytical as we get 
I, I still think the draft is, you know, there's a human element involved where like you fall in love with prospects or you want to be the person who's like commended for taking a certain player. And so, um, you can always kind of use that to leverage teams. So I, I still think opportunities for trade downs are there. I think without a doubt, you, you nailed it on the head by saying you, you want you want to take advantage of someone who has fallen in love with a player. And that's what happened with AZ last year. Um, you know, I have good authority that they made a, a very similar offer to the Canucks to jump up to 10 to take them. Um, you know, they had them as the third ranked player on their board and they, they were just they wanted him so badly that they were willing to do that and give up that value pick in the second round. And so teams are going to be out there's there. There's definitely. Yeah, that's right? going to happen this year. For sure. And I think we have an opportunity to see that as one of these, you know, consensus top 10, 11 kids slips because uh, inevitable it's it's inevitable. It's going to happen. One or two of them is going to be sitting there at 12 or 13. And all it takes is somebody at, you know, 15, 16, 17, who's like, oh, my goodness, we want them. We want them bad. Let's jump up and do it. And, you know, at the at the cost of an early second or a, a B-level prospect or something like that. And so if a team can see that and they know they have a confident in their staff that, you know, we can slide back four picks and still get a guy that we really like. That's a great opportunity. Well, I also think like the opposite can be true too. Like, let's say there's a situation where um, your Carolina or whomever and Lucas Raymond is sitting there at 10, which he absolutely shouldn't be. But if he's sitting there at 10, I think, I feel like, yeah, you know what? Maybe giving up a B prospect might actually work out for you in that standpoint because you have other teams who maybe don't value him as much. So I feel like the opposite might be true for this draft as well, where a player consensus who should be at the top of the draft slips because you have teams taking the players that they've fallen in love with. And then all of a sudden a team trades up and gets a player that definitely shouldn't have been there. And maybe they get value out of that. So I think we could see so many different scenarios play out just because there's so much um, disagreement in who should go where. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you two. We'll get into it here, but I have a pretty clearly defined top tier of six players. I like, there's a seventh that I, I could be talked into and I think Cam will, will try to do his best to do so. But like, I have six guys that I think are, are very clearly head and shoulders above the rest. And I feel very confident that those six will not be the top six in any order in this year's draft. And so, um, I, I do think the, the possibility of someone, uh, sort of reaching and going off the board, similar to when Arizona, I know we're like really crushing the Coyotes here, but when they re- reached for Barrett Hayden and it kind of forced Quinn Hughes to fall down to seven when you thought there was no way he was getting out of the top six, I think there's going to be a similar element to that. So that goes to what you're saying, Rachel, where like you could easily move up a couple spots there and pounce on a guy if you really like him. So, okay, let's do the mock here. We're going to divvy up the, the lottery picks, the top 15 between the three of us. We're going to go in snake order. We're going to make five picks each. Um, I think it's important to note that what we're going to do is make the picks that we think should be made in terms of our um, evaluation of the players and the talent, because that's ultimately all we can control. We're not going to try to crystal ball and figure out what the teams will actually do. But I do think we should sort of mention or, or consider, especially in certain cases where a team has been linked at a certain spot to a certain prospect, we can, we can kind of allude to that as well. But ultimately I think it's more interesting for people listening to hear what we think about the players as opposed to what we think about what the teams will do. So, um, 
and we can do some player comps as well. I know, uh, I don't know how you feel about that as, as uh, prospect evaluators, but I think it can lead to kind of like unfair expectations for players, certainly, and everyone's unique. But, um, you know, if you're kind of a casual fan that's trying to become acclimated with some of these names, I think it helps to sort of visualize what that player at least stylistically looks like in terms of an NHL player you've seen. So, Cam, I'm going to give you the floor. You're going to pick first. Rachel's going to go second, and I'll go third. So, uh, Without further ado, it's been a long time coming here. We've been waiting for the first pick to be made. The New York Rangers are on the clock. I love it, too, because when we did it with Peters there, you wouldn't give me first because we didn't want to start off too hot and heavy. Uh, you know, I got, I've got i been asked this by a couple people on, on the team side of things that when whenever I re-release a rankings and Quentin Byfield's at the top, I, I get a little message from someone being like, so if you're a GM, do you have the stones to go up there and make that pick? And uh, the answer is always, you know, how much does the owner trust me and love me? Uh, but in this situation, I think the owner's got a lot of love for me. So I'm going with the big man uh, with the Rangers, too. I think it makes a ton of sense for them. Yep. You know, I've been doing some Rangers podcasts and, and it's not as outlandish as you think. Even in that in that New York bubble is that to get a, a locked in top flight center who has the potential to be a matchup nightmare. He's He's the type of player that. When he reaches his ceiling, it could be so unique that, you know, teams are going to just try to game plan against him and have nothing to throw at him. So, you know, even the best defensive centers in the league will have a hard time matching up against a guy who's six foot four, six foot five, and who's going to be playing at 225. They just don't come along too often. Um, you know, there are some knocks on him. What you see at the moment isn't what you get and what you're hoping to get. I think that there's definitely room for improvement. He can clean up his posture on his stride despite being a silky smooth skater. I think he can find ways to, the, to discover softer areas on the ice a little bit better get a little more physically mean out there and use that body at this point he dominates junior more of as a finesse player than as a real bull in a china shop so there are things that need to, to come together for him to be that super elite rare package uh but i'm i'm banking on him as the new york rangers to get me there and you know they've got a top uh, flight wingers on the left side already and you know they don't necessarily need lafreniere and so for me this is the best player available and could be Evgeny malkin could be eric lindros could be rick nash we'll see what it's going to be but uh, he's going number one yeah, I'm I'm in agreement. I actually have an article coming for Elite Prospects about Byfield and Cam kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, I kind of broke down how he can hit the potential that Cam sees in him and that I see in him. Um, I think that if he hits his potential, he will be the best player in this draft. And to me, if you believe in your development system, and in this case, you're the New York Rangers and you have money galore... Um, there should be no reason why you're not investing in this kid's development. And so if he can fix his posture, if he can discover how to play in space and how to use space to his advantage, if he can improve his puck retrievals in the offensive zone to continue and, and dominate, because that's kind of the hallmark of a, a superstar power forward is to be able to dominate in that offensive zone. I think he's already better defensively than most star players coming into the draft. And so I have no issues with Byfield going at one and I would love to see it. I think like the risk is a bit overstated. I think maybe a one, just because we probably agree that Lafreniere is more NHL ready to make an impact like right out of the gate. So, Correct. But he's think, also a, almost a year older. Of course. But I think, I think there's a, a reasonable likelihood that whenever the NHL does get going again, we see both of these guys playing in the league. Lafreniere makes a more immediate impact that if you had gone ahead and picked Byfield at number one, all of a sudden you're kind of sitting there for the first six months having to answer a lot of questions, right? So I think that's where the risk is. I think in terms of the actual 
evaluation of the player from everything I've seen and read about Byfield. Like, sure, the ceiling is through the roof and he could be Evgeny Malkin. But I think even more realistically, like the worst case scenario is still a really good player because he has the skating, right? Like most times if if, if you're saying about the risk reward of a, of a big center like this, the only way they would, wouldn't pan out is if they're kind of stuck in mud and they can't move around and they get to the NHL and all of a sudden that's exposed. I think for Byfield, like people might get irritated if he doesn't use his physicality enough, I guess. But ultimately in terms of the actual skills, it's like very translatable to the NHL level no matter what. Well, that's just it. Is that we don't we don't see this package of skills come together really ever. And so, at his size, with his skill and his skating, it's just there's no real examples of a player like him not working out. And so, the the question just is, how high can he go? Is that can he reach that true ceiling, or is you know is he going to middle out a little bit? But even still, the middle part of his upside is still you know extreme. Yeah, I like I would say, worst case scenario, he's a second line winger. Um, maybe he doesn't pan out at center, but if you told me, okay, you're potentially drafting Evgeny Malkin 2.0 here, like I'm sprinting up to the stage and screaming his name, and then we're we're leaving. He's got the jersey, and we're heading to New York because Evgeny Malkin, like Cam said, how how many players are there like Evgeny Malkin in this league who are that big, that good, and have that set of hands? Like there's there's maybe two or three. Yeah, I think. I don't want to compare him to Malkin. I feel like it's unfair to Byfield because Malkin's a generational talent. But I think like a reasonable worst case scenario is like Kevin Hayes. What do you think about that? Yeah, that would be that would be the bottom the bottom expectation. And he, Kevin for Hayes him. just made fifty million dollars on a contract and <laughs> yeah. looked good looked good doing so for the Flyers. I must say, yeah, he's a good looking guy too. So yeah, that's no problem. yeah good player. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, if, <laughs> yeah. if you can get like a six five passer who can move around and do stuff, like that's that's a pretty good uh, pretty good bottom floor there for him. But I think it's kind of a blessing and a curse of, of being. Um, of having that kind of bigger frame. Like we've seen, we've seen it time and time again, where it looks like compared to a guy who's five, nine and has to make three or four steps compared to one step that Byfield makes, it looks like he's not working as hard as that other player. Or like you just, you always think that, Oh, he's bigger and, and stronger than everyone. He should be using that physicality at every, at every shift. And so I think sometimes players like this, um, get very unfairly knocked for stuff that isn't actually true or, um, isn't like in their control. And, and, and that's why I kind of feel for them because we see it time and time again, where big players just have these just unrealistic expectations of what they should be doing with their size and speed pretty much every time they're on the ice. Yeah, I think that's spot on too. And, and, you know, people look at the size, they look at the stats and they just expect a certain type of player. And then you, you actually watch him play in that long fluid stride generates so much power in the hands. Like, a, you know, I always say kind of like prime Jason Spezza, the way he can handle the puck. And so, yeah, obviously I've, uh, I pumped him up enough here for today anyways. <laughs> uh, all right, Rachel, well, you're on the clock then at, at number two for the LA Kings then. Uh, so in, no surprise, I'm going to take Alexi Lafreniere. Um, I think that two is basically the floor of where he's going to end up. If if the Rangers decide to go by field at one, um, I think Lafreniere goes to two, and I think LA is going to be very happy with that. Um, immediately steps in, immediately an impact player, probably playing on the top line in LA. Um, could see him definitely fitting well with Kopitar. Um and kind of inject some youth into that lineup. I think that no matter where Lafreniere goes, he's going to have a positive impact. I mean, there's not, not much that this kid can't do. 
And so I, I've enjoyed watching him since his first year in the queue. And I thought he was terrific then. I think he's terrific now. And I think if anything, um, he's become a, a bit of a victim I've seen of people overanalyzing and nit- nitpicking his game just because they've had so long to, to evaluate this player. I think it's hilarious that he had 112 points in 52 games in the queue this year, and there was questions raised about how motivated and stimulated he was playing in a in a league that was so far below his talent level. Like, right? Like, it's like, oh, he could have probably been a bit more engaged. It's like uh, he had 112 points in 52 games. What is that going to look like if he is engaged? It's going to look yeah. like a lot of points. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess if uh, yeah, when you have 105 points in 61 games the year before, it's fair that you should uh, should feel like you've outgrown that level. But it is important to note that if he was born 26 days earlier, he would have been in last year's draft. Whereas if Quinton Byfield was born 26 days later, he would have been in next year's draft. So um, something to consider yes, for sure. But let's talk about because I do think we Lafreniere probably will go number one to the Rangers. I kind of want to talk about that fit a little bit because um, obviously if you look at their depth chart, wing is their strong suit. Whereas down the middle, they basically have Zibinijad, and I think they're hoping Heedle can develop into something more, but he still hasn't shown that he can take that leap in the NHL level. So what do you? obviously I think if you're looking for fit, and it's like very close, you'd say, okay, Byfield makes a bit more sense sort of positionally. Um, but wouldn't you say that just watching Lafreniere play, he sort of plays like one of those wingers that basically is a center just because the puck will probably be going through his stick anyway. So he'll be kind of dictating the play regardless of if he's on the wing or down the middle. Yeah, I think so. And that's what I've always said, too. He's one of these rare wingers that the play will run through him. You know, you see it. A guy like Panarin does it. Uh, Hall has done it in his prime. Is These guys Patrick who love Kane. to carry. Yeah, Patty Kane. They love to carry the puck. They love to have it on their stick. They can do everything. Um, you know, a guy like Kane is probably a little more playmaker than, than Lafreniere is, who's who's got this devastating release. And, you know, talking about how he was maybe a little, a little under-motivated in the queue while he still just scored so many NHL goals there where he just shifts it a little bit through the D-man legs and by the goalie's ear with so much velocity so um yeah i think he's gonna drive play for whatever line he ends up with whoever his center is um because it'll be really interesting to see you're absolutely right you know like as it stands right now ryan strom is their number two center and long term i think he could do better than that so maybe you know with panarin locked up there and him and zabinajad as is you know a potential one too it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do to fill that hole and try to get both their top left wingers a an elite centerman to work with if they when they take lafreniere at the top but you know his game is is predicated on you know he's got strength he's got skill and i've been really impressed with how he's improved his skating over the last two seasons it's something that i i projected as kind of slightly below nhl average and and as it stands right now i would call it slightly above nhl average yeah, and his skill level, like when when it's that high, uh, those players typically tend to kind of make people play at their preferred play pace, anyways. So as long as you're not a complete liability with your skating, like I think average is is perfectly fine with that skill level because you're just going to be bringing everyone down to your level anyway. So you're going to control the flow of the game. What's a what's a reasonable comp then? Because I was thinking just because of the playmaking and the passing Jonathan Huberto and maybe that's a lazy one because of they both played in the queue but you seem to think that like his shot is much much uh more of a weapon than Huberto's is yeah I you know on a really not a perfect comparable I've called him Huberto on steroids too I think it's it's he's an improved Huberto but you know a guy like David Pasternak that's what I that was right yeah yeah not crazy not crazy to, to see that type of potential there wow all right I like it. Um, okay, is that enough on on Byfield and Lafreniere? 
can we move on to number three or is there any other things? Cause I, I, think I feel like are that's enough. Those yeah. Two, but yeah. I feel like, can we all agree that they're the top two prospects in this draft? Is that kind of the discourse in this room right now? Oh yeah. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> okay. So I've got number three here picking for the Ottawa senators who we should note have in the top hundred. They're picking three, five, 28, 33, 52, 59, 61, 64, 71, 95. That's so bad. a lot. Yeah, uh, a lot of options there. Um, okay, so I'm picking number three. I think when Cam and I did this with Chris Peters last time, I had number three as well, and I took the same player. And um, I'm going to take Marco Rossi. And yeah, it's short I've, king. I've, I've been on this island since the start of this process, much like Cam has with Byfield, and I'm sticking with it. I... Um, I'm just going to make a couple points about Rossi here, and then, and then I'm curious for your take on it. But I really do wonder if he were... I wonder how many people knocking him and having him at 18 have even watched Marco Rossi play as opposed to just maybe looked at his height. Because if he were six foot, I guarantee the consensus opinion on him would be as a lock for number three, maybe. And everything I've watched from him, his height makes absolutely no difference. He's... 185 pounds. He's built like a tank. He's so strong on the puck. We just watched a postseason where five foot ten Braden Point put on like a Sidney Crosby level of a puck possession clinic where no one could take the puck from him because he was so low to the ground and was so strong with his lower body and he was just making people look silly, basically playing keep away with it. And I see a lot of that with Rossi where he's going to win a ton of puck battles. It's not going to be an issue at all. It's 2020 at five, nine. I'm not worried about him going down the middle of the ice and getting hit by a head hunting defenseman. No one's really doing that these days. So I just think you look at the complete package, 120 points in 56 games. I mean, what am I missing here beyond the fact that he's five foot nine? I think the question that some people would raise is that how many five foot nine number one centers are there in the league? Um, and, you know, it, we could give a little a little grace there and, and call Braden Point, you know, who's not he's a little bit bigger. But, uh, you know, there aren't a ton. And that's OK. Uh, I'm with you. Is that, you know, does Brad Marchand being five foot nine, does that impact his game? Not so much. And we're looking at a similar styled player without some of that nasty. Uh, and so, you know, he's like you said, he's he's built strong. He's thick. He's strong down low. I uh, I was just looking to see if I could find a clip because I can't remember who it was against. But as Rossi is a, a D minus one kid as a 16, 17 year old going into the corner with a guy six foot five, you know, who's got 40 pounds on him and he just bends low and he looks like Sidney Crosby out there. The guy just flipped right over him. He came out with the puck. No problem. Uh, I don't think his strength is going to be any issue when he moves up to the NHL. Yeah, I don't either. And I, I don't think. I would not have taken Rossi at three, but if I were Ottawa, I probably would have taken him at five because I think he's going to be there. Um, I I completely agree with the fact that the height thing Cam mentioned, there's not a ton of, of tall centers or of short centers, but I think that we're starting to see a shift in the fact that height doesn't necessarily matter as much. And the one thing that Rossi does that the hockey men love is he is extremely competitive on the puck like he wins his battles he goes in he's an absolute nuisance he can i think he can play the pk um because he's so smart he could definitely play the pp um so he's an all situations player and i think that's also really important um to me there's there's not really a doubt that he's gonna score um but i do think he ends up as a winger as opposed to a center at the nhl level um, but I still think it, like, it's a highly talented player and 
definitely a player for me that uh, I wouldn't have outside the top five. Like, I think that taking him at three um, would raise eyebrows, but I don't think that it's necessarily an error. I was watching the scouting video on him, and, and he brought up some stats from the games he tracked where 32.5% of his shot attempts were from high danger. He had an 82% uh, offensive zone carry and rate. I mean, he was just a monster on the puck. And you're right. I think the Senators can probably get him at five. And if he's available there, I think you don't think twice about it. I, I, I'm really curious to see. Um, it's projecting down the road. But the, the thought of pairing him with Brady Kachuk on a line is very interesting to me because Kachuk can kind of insulate him a little bit in terms of the, the, the size, but both guys love to play uh, in tight around the net. Uh, Kachuk led the league in high danger attempts this year. And I just think that would be a really fascinating combination. And then obviously, I mean, he played as junior in Ottawa as well. So I just, I don't know. I, I love Marco Rossi. And I, I think in my opinion, he's the third best prospect. And maybe it's a bit overcompensating just for the people who knock him because of the size. So I'm like, no, you know what? I'm sticking to Marco Rossi here at three, but that's just how I feel. And, and uh, he's a short king in my heart. All right. What are we doing with four then? All right. Well, I'm, I'm up at four for the Detroit Red Wings. Um, I'm going to take Lucas Raymond here. Um, I think the biggest question mark about him was there was just so little sort of uh, meaningful data to work with because he was playing less than 10 minutes a game last year. And we talked about this a bit at the start, but the early returns are very promising. Uh, his season high last year was 12.58 already this year in his three games. He's played 12.48, 15.13, and his most recent game, 18.08. Uh, he's got a goal and assist so far. I just, I, I love his game. I think he's one of those players where you could sort of, um, just run your offense through him, especially on the power play. Just give him the puck and let him make decisions, and he's going to make the right ones, and those players are incredibly valuable. So I I don't know. What, what are the reservations beyond uh, last year's sort of data to on Raymond? It, because watching him, he looks like the complete package. I have very few reservations on Lucas Raymond. Yeah. I, you know, it's, you know, he's not overly big. So he's 5'11 and 170, 175 sort of thing. So he has some filling out to do to handle the smaller ice when he does come over. Uh, but, you know, I've been saying this about him for 18 months is he has that rare trait of escapability. And so he can find himself with possession amongst two or three guys closing in on him. And somehow he comes out of there unscathed with possession and sets up a teammate who's now obviously open. So he has that gravitational pull where he can pull defenders in and yet still come out successful with it. And so I don't think that the transition to the smaller ice, even at his size is going to be that big of an issue. You know, I'd love to see, a little more speed like uh, we could say that but every player basically though is that you know crank up a little more two-step quickness on him and now we're talking about a guy who could potentially have breakaway speed at the nhl too so uh the reservations are are very few i don't think there are any but you know he has a couple things to work on but you know like we said we've we've already seen what he can do now in a small sample with proper deployment and he was in a situation last year where if him and alexander holtz switched spots um for their shl teams is that you know no one would have been no one would have been talking about it even an issue as him not being a locked in top five talent and, and that's exactly what he is and and he should absolutely go in the top five yeah like i think um what's likely to happen is that like ottawa will take stutzel at three and that detroit will take perfetti at four um just because like that's kind of who they've been linked to but I also think that 
with Lucas Raymond, like Cam said, there's so many few, like there's there's so many things he does really well, and so few things that he needs to work on. I think the path for Raymond to have success in the NHL is maybe a little bit easier than some of the other players in terms of his development, because realistically, I think it's just getting stronger, and that's our very much the easiest thing to do. Well, yeah, and people so I between think once he does get stronger, 20, that, yeah, he's an eighteen-year-old. <laughs> he probably will get stronger. Exactly. So I think that um, taking Raymond here. Uh, is a great pick because I think he's going to be um, a very, very good talent to come. Like I, th- I think he's a top line winger um, for the majority of his career. Yes, yeah, I, I think so too. Which is why I took him fourth. Um, all right, so five on the clock. Rachel, you're up. Um, okay, so I just said that they're going to take him at three, so I'm definitely going to take him at five. Um, Tim Stutzla, yep. and. Um, I have my reservations about this player. Um, I just think that there are some things that don't necessarily translate about him, but he's highly talented. Um, he's got a ton of skill. He plays on the perimeter a little bit too much for my liking, but I thought when he was against his own age group at the World Juniors, he did a better job of playing in the middle. Um, that's definitely something he's going to have to develop, but he's a dynamic skater, um, dynamic skill, I uh, shoots the puck well. Like there's a lot to like about him and I think that he also has a very very high ceiling. It's just I think his path to get there is a little bit more difficult than some other players at the top end of this draft. I yeah, I think it's kind of crazy to have him as second on the board, which is what Bob McKenzie had based on talking to scouts. I, do too. I think I think I think that's a a classic example of a uh, trying to sort of think differently and uh kind of like the trendy pick like he is certainly you could feel that as the process was going along where it's like oh yeah well uh yeah byfield's great but what about stutzla have you seen him and and i i get it like you watch him he's such a dynamic skater and it lends itself so well to the 2020 game i think watching some of the tape in when he was playing the league games it doesn't look very um comparable or translatable to what you'd see on an nhl surface it looks like that he's got a lot of empty space to uh to use his speed and 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 skate into and i'm I'm very curious to see how much he'll be able to transfer that in terms of cutting in tight and getting into the dirty areas in on the nhl surface but i don't know like at worst he seems like he will be a dominant sort of neutral zone player similar to a a nicholas ehlers type right nicolai ehlers type right so uh, that's kind of the high end for him, but just in terms of the talent, the skating, I get why people watch that and are enamored thinking what he could do in today's NHL game. You, you know, I, I think that someone told me a few years ago that the the litmus test for a scout is whether they look at Jake Vertanian in junior and, and saw a star or saw a third line player. And I think that we're, we're maybe looking at a similar situation here, maybe on a lesser degree with Tim Stutzla is that, you know, I, I see all those skills, too, that he has. He has the dynamic speed. He's going to be a transitional player that's going to impact the game and gain possession of the zone, and that's going to be beneficial. But like you said, when you watch him in league play, it's easy to see him do all these highlight reel moves, um, you know, deking around defenders and having all this room to go behind the net and set up guys, is that he's not going to have that that time and space 
And so maybe he can adapt to it when everything shrinks down and he's closed down. But I don't see him setting up his deeks well enough to, to pull any of those off in the NHL. I don't see him assessing two, three options and making the correct decision. I see him missing passes in the neutral zone by three feet behind or, or in front of players. I see all these habits that... I honestly like I it's it's disappointing for me because I was one of the early champions of him. I think I had him eighth overall when I released a, a year ago for the first time uh, when he was probably looked at more of as a, a teens or in the 20s pick. And then the hype has just grown exponentially. And it's I've had to become it's like a this, train that doesn't stop. Right. And, and I'm not used to being a wet blanket. And unfortunately, I've had to throw it and douse some of the flames on him a little bit. Is that, you know, he's going to be a good player because his speed is going to allow him so many opportunities. Uh, but at the same time, it's just, you know, I saw Mark Edwards said that he's a lot closer to Lafreniere at one than Byfield is to him at two. And and for me, that's just I, I'm not sure no. what what players were watching to, to look at that is because, you know, not every not every play is going to translate to the NHL. And that's a huge part of this business is assessing people is that, you know, yeah, that's a great goal in the DEL where the back pressure is like, you know, men's senior league level versus, you know, I was going to say it's <laughs> non-existent. Right, exactly. It's You you see that in beer league sometimes at that, that level of back check. And so, uh, you know, I think Stitzel is going to be a player. I've got him seven or eight or wherever I put him on I my final him, board. I have him eight. Yeah, and I think but that in that I top 10 him, is I would fine. say... Yeah, like the reason I took him at five is because I think Ottawa has two f- top five picks. Um, I think they're going to take him at three anyways if he's there. But I think that I talked about hi- how high his ceiling is. And I think it's okay to take someone that has that high of a ceiling if you think he's going to hit it. Mm-hmm. And I really do believe that Ottawa thinks he's going to hit it. I personally don't. But I think that Ottawa does. And so. When you have two picks in the top five, you can afford to take a swing like that, where at least like the players within range, a lot of people have them at two, most have them at three. Um, so I think it's going to be okay that Ottawa takes that swing. But I personally, I have Stutzel at eight on my board. And yeah. that's just because of the things that Cam just talked about. Like the habits are, are very concerning. And I mean, Cam can can attest to this there is nobody in our ep ringside chat that backs the germans more than me um but i just think here like it's it's very difficult to ignore some of the very poor habits that he has um but i just see ottawa taking that swing because if he does pan out it's a home run at five well, it's also like you zoom in on it. Like if you're watching his tape and you go on like ISO cam, it's like, wow, that is oh, such impressive skating. And then you like zoom out slowly and then you just see that there's no one around him at any point on that ice surface and in that league. And you're like, well, that's literally never going to happen at the NHL level. So what's he going to do? And all of a sudden that space shrinks and you just can't go unabated from one end to the other. Now, what I will say, I have him at six on my board just because I think that the skating talent is dynamic enough that even if like the scoring doesn't reach an elite level, he's going to be a very useful transition player. And I think that's a very undervalued thing in the game. But Michael McCurdy was tweeting about this recently about how much the game at the NHL level has shifted uh, over the past handful of years where a shot off the rush is like twice as likely to go in as a shot 
not on the rush basically they feel from a stagnant offensive zone possession and so with the game transitioning so much towards just i mean we saw it in the in the, in the stanley cup final where that was basically the star's entire offense they were thought of as this kind of grinded out uh cycle team but in reality they were just trying to score off the rush whenever the opportunity presented itself having a guy who can get you the puck there and move it across the ice is going to be incredibly valuable so i think his particular skill set lends itself very well in that regard i'm just curious to see like whether he'll be able to achieve that ceiling so i agree i think at some point it's worth it i think having him in the top three even is just way too rich for my blood it's definitely too rich for mine (laughs) okay so cam you've got six and seven here so you're picking for the ducks at six and you're picking for the devils at seven the yeah, Ducks are going to trade this pick. <laughs> uh-huh, you think so, eh? No. We should do some trades. That'd be fun. Mm. Anybody want anybody want six? No? All right. No, you have to take Holtz. You have to, you uh, have to take Holtz here. I am. Yeah. You know I am too. I'm, I'm taking I'm taking the, the shooter. Uh, he's got the top top release in the class. He has so many ways in his, his bag of tricks to beat you. And so whether that's in flight off the rush, which he is excellent at finishing, um, even at the men's level of the SHL right now, he has that shot. He can, he can employ it in different ways. So he has that big, long whipping wrist shot that generates a ton of power and he can be staring the goalie dead in the eyes and everybody knows where it's going. And it still whizzes by his ear and under the bar. Um, he has the ability to keep his hands in the same position to be that triple threat where am I going to deke? Am I going to pass? Am I going to shoot and still get off a quick release and hit his spot you know obviously he's an assassin on the power play um honestly i see this kid as being a legit threat to score 40 goals in the nhl with that you know rare chance of hitting 50 is that he's that type of player i lend it his shot is you know as impressive to me as patrick line was when he was a draft eligible player um he has you know the the difference between those two players right now is that he has a fire in his belly all he wants to do is score goals and win games and i've heard that from people in sweden for years now but especially when he transitioned up to the shl last year as a 17 year old that he was welcomed with open arms because it took about a minute for the rest of those that team to figure out like this kid is going to be one of our best players in a hurry, but he's not afraid to just, you know, assimilate perfectly into the group. He wants to win. He wants to compete. He wants to work hard in practice. And you can't understate how valuable that is in a player transitioning up. And when they run into a, a situation where it's going to be harder to score goals, he's not going to step into the league and score 40. And there's going to be some hiccups. There's going to be long droughts like there is for any goal scorer. Um, but he's one of these guys that I think is a good bet to push through that and find a way to get his goals any way that he can. Um, and just a really fun player player anaheim needs right wingers so it's perfect for them they need high octane offense and how about him and and trevor zegras playing together that is going to be just filthy so hopefully anaheim hears this and they're like you know what that's a really good idea and uh, (laughs) yeah because they just love taking defensemen right and when you have drysdale and sanderson sitting there like i part of me think that's that's going to be so hard to overlook for anaheim but i'm totally with you like if holt gets the six and i think he will i think anaheim a, I think he's the. You could make the argument that Drysdale might be the best player available, but I think it's the argument between those two players, and I think that at that point, the the ability to potentially score fifty, like I think there's a potential he scores thirty in his rookie year, uh, whenever that is, and I think that when that lends itself to success, and so you you want to take the goal scorer because scoring goals is the most difficult thing to do in this league and i think if you can put a a potential 40 50 goal scorer on your team that's something that you have to do 
Anaheim loves drafting defensemen. They also love drafting Swedes, though. So maybe they could uh, that'll balance out and work in its favor, and they could take holds here. But Helga Granz at number six. Book it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I hate to sound like a like a sort of like a hockey guy here, but I love that the, the goal he the goal he scored so far this year was just like a greasy rebound around the net. Like I love to see that because that was my one of my concerns. Remember last time we recorded Cam, like a lot of what I saw last year was like, it's a lot of like perimeter stuff and, and shooting from far out. And when you have a shot, like he does, I get it, but I'm just worried when you translate it to NHL, like how often, how many guys can consistently, we've even seen with line a where he's sort of regressed, where it's really tough to consistently beat goalies from far out. And so if he's going to be scoring from all over the ice, all of a sudden that makes me much more confident that, that he's going to hit those goal scoring lofty projections that both of you outlined for him. Yeah, I think it, the really cool thing is that when he was a 16-year-old in the J20 in the Super League, he could literally score at will from anywhere on the ice. So he was unloading bombs from just inside the blue line in flight, and he was and he was putting them in too. And that's just like not something, down. right? And that's not something you can do as you move up. And that took him a minute to figure out. Uh, you can't do that in the SHL, and he has figured it out. I, I saw him getting into those dirty crease areas more often as I get a coffee brought to me. How about nice. this? Like Thank that. you. Ah, um, yeah, I think he's I think he's going to be one of these guys that finds a way to score goals, whether it's in the slot, whether it's out high on the PP at the top of the circle. He's going to get in there and he's going to get those rebound goals. And you're absolutely right. You know, his first of the year, he gets in there on a greasy, loose puck and he buries it, gets down you know, on one knee and, and puts it home with a with authority. And, I, and we're going to see that often from him. Cool. Well, OK, you're up at seven now. Uh, so who do you think the Devils are or who would you take if you were the Devils? <laughs> Yeah, this, that's who would I take if I was the Devils. Yeah, and who are the Devils going to take is the other question. I know, right? That's the big question for sure is that I think that I think they just go BPA is is what they should do. They have three first round picks. And so if they want to get weird, go get weird at 18 or at 20. And, and I and I project that they probably will take a big swing on someone later. Um, but, you know, I, I it's it's a tough one here. I think they're going to go with Jake Sanderson. They're going to take Sanderson here at this spot. Um, you know, uh, yes, I, 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 it's tough. It's tough because people I can't to, see I, me, but I'm shaking my head and kind of so Jake Sanderson is a very good player, a very, very good player. And to be honest with you, I just kind of flip flop between him and Perfetti at this spot. I love Cole Perfetti for his intelligence, but I think that we're going to see a D jump. And so I'm playing a little bit, I'm, I'm hedging a little bit what I would do, what they would do. Um, Jake Sanderson, guys, I think that people are sleeping on him a little bit while other people maybe are really championing him uh, maybe too much, getting him into the top five, but he's well, a player at three. <laughs> he, at three, but he, he's a player who didn't have a ton to work with offensively in front of him at the program this year. And we're going to see that change when he moves up to the NCAA, you're going to see him work with some real talented players and you'll be like, Oh, he has a lot more offense than I thought too, because he's another player, you know, like, like Raymond, he's got the escapability. He has, he has that, that skating ability that he can shake pressure and, and get it out in a hurry with his feet, with his pass. He's going to chew up minutes defensively. He's, you know, we can talk about Braden Schneider, but, he's probably the best defensive defenseman in this group too. And arguably one of the best skaters in the whole class too. So he has a lot of good things going for him. D comes at a premium center comes at a premium. And so at this part of the draft, you know, it could have been, it could have been Dreesdale. It could have been Perfetti. It could have been Sanderson. And I'm, I'm going with the American D man here. Yeah. I think, um, there's going to be, if, if the draft plays out, in this manner, which I don't necessarily think it will, but if it gets to the devil's pick and both Drysdale and Sanderson are available, I think there's going to be a legitimate argument and yelling in that room because 
there's definitely some people, uh, like some scouts within the Devils organization that love Jamie Drysdale. And there's definitely some scouts in that organization and some management that love Jake Sanderson. And so I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, what I don't necessarily think is up for debate here. One, two of the best players available, or two of the three that you just mentioned are defensemen. And if you look right now at New Jersey, if there is a team that needs defensemen, it is them. And so I think you can't really even... I wouldn't have Perfetti here, but... Um, I think it's got to be one of Drysdale or Sanderson. I would take Drysdale, but like Cam said, I think the Devils are going to take Sanderson because I think they have him high. I think they have both defensemen highly rated, but I think they have Sanderson higher. I need to hire uh, Jake Sanderson's PR team. The job they've done. I mean, wow. Oh, since he yeah. since he last since he last played a game, I feel like it's like it's it's that it's the meme. It's like no one. No one says anything, and then all of a sudden, Jake Sanderson's moving up the board. It's like it's like it's like the wire where when it was on t- live TV, no one actually watched it, and then it had this kind of like second shelf life afterwards, where people went back and started watching, and they're like, "Wow, the wire is the best show." It's like that's what's happening with Jake Sanderson here, where six months ago it was like, "Yeah, I mean, he could he could be like a a mid first round pick, maybe the third defenseman off the board," and then all of a sudden now it's like, "Is he the third best prospect in this entire draft?" Like. It's crazy. I get it. I see the tools. The tape looks, especially as the year went along, very enticing. I love people talk about defensemen uh, that can skate and rave about it. I love that he actually functionally uses that to gap up, to defend the blue line. Like it's a very useful skill. Not nearly enough defensemen do that in any, at the NHL level. I agree. I wouldn't evaluate him based on points because. For defensemen, um, that's so much about sort of just like opportunity and chance in terms of who's playing in front of you. And if he was playing with last year's group of forwards at that uh, for the U.S. level, um, I'm sure he had a lot more points like Cam York did. But uh, it'll be really interesting to see just like how high he goes. And at this point, I'm willing to believe that he will go anywhere in this draft because why not? It, it's, he's got the best PR team in the league. Yeah, he he's he he grows on you. No, you know he's like uh, Stanza. It just gets stuck in your head a little bit. The more you watch him, and you see, and you know another thing is he's one of the younger players in this in this crop too. So there's a lot of developmental path ahead of him too. But I also think he's one of the more NHL ready players. Like he's obviously not going to step in next season. He's going to go to school. He'll probably play two years at school realistically. But I think that he's going to be ready to come in and play a real role for whatever team takes him within a couple of years and you know six foot two he's already 185 he's probably bigger than that at this point anyway so you know you're getting yourself a guy who can skate like that who can already play just suffocating defense and i think the offense is going to come and and at that point you're looking at a a number one defenseman and and i think that's his upside and again you know nothing's a a certainty in this business but i I think he's got a very very good shot of being a top pairing defender and uh, i do you believe he actually has the skill level for that though to be a number one, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if I see 60 point upside from him. I don't know if the creativity's there, but at the same time, uh, you don't need necessarily need all the gaudy, gaudy point totals. I think that, you know, yeah, I, I think the ceiling of being a number one D would be more of a two way impactful guy that can chew up 25, 26 minutes a night. Uh, you know, he's not going to be Ryan Suter, but, you know, you consider a guy Ryan Suter as a number one defenseman, despite never putting up monstrous point totals. And I think that he's. He's going to be a better Jacob Truba. He's going to be, you know, in that mold of player, maybe not as mean, but with the same ability to impact the game. I think that the 
a couple things, especially with the devil, should be pointed out too. One, they love NCAA players, and there's a reason for that, and I'm not going to get into it, but they love their NCAA players, um, specifically their NCAA defensemen. And uh, two, the one thing that's kind of come out, and Tom Fitzgerald has talked about it, um, is they need to have somebody on the blue line that isn't necessarily like a mean, mean, tough guy, but like Cam said, can get the job done, can shut it down, and makes life difficult for opposing players and Sanderson does that he's not necessarily the meanest but he's definitely cross-checks people in front of the net and he makes life difficult in terms of he closes people down at the blue line he has a good gap he wins his battles in the corners and I think that all of those things are going to be really enticing not just to the devils but but to any team um I think he's probably more of a a two three defenseman um but I think the fact that he can play top pair minutes because he plays a good gap and, and is a very good skater, um, I think that's going to be really enticing to the Devils. It's going to be difficult for them to ignore. It's just a matter of, are they taking Sanderson or Drysdale? Yeah, I, I definitely agree that as the year went along, you started seeing more of that sort of offensive creativity or freelancing where he was like doing spin moves to keep the puck in the zone and kind of walk on the blue line. But I do wonder just like, Sometimes we maybe take for granted kind of those offensive instincts or that uh, creativity and not everyone has it. So I'm curious to see how he develops and, and playing with better players this year in the NCAA um, will be really interesting to see if he flourishes offensively. But um, Rachel, you're on the board now at eight for the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, okay, so this is an easy no-brainer for me. We're going Jamie Drysdale here. Um, yes, they have Rasmus Dahlin. Um, they also have Rasmus Ristolainen, who isn't mm. very good. Oh, so, and Rasmus Asplund, all the Rasmai. Yes, they have all of the Rasmai. I'm taking Jamie Drysdale. Um, getting Drysdale at eight, to me, is incredible value. Um, you want to talk about a, a player that is just terrific. Um, he actually like works out with uh, somebody that I know, and I, I spoke to his assistant coach in Erie about him, and just the, like all situations moves the puck well he's an offensive dynamo um definitely can can work on his gap control but that's something that pretty much every single defenseman in their draft year needs to work on um and most defensemen in the nhl actually need to work on it um but i i really like him the way he um manipulates the power play uh the way he moves the puck his ability to get out of traffic just all of it um it's such an enticing package and Buffalo can use all of the good players they can get right now, and Jamie Drysdale at eight would be terrific for them. Yeah, I mean, to, so he played on a pretty crappy team in Erie, right? Yeah, they weren't very good. They were 26, 26 and 11 or something, and, and uh, not very many notable talents around him, so I do wonder... And then he went to the we World Juniors about. and yeah. was really good. Looked great, yeah. So, yeah, just... For defense, when you're playing with lesser players like that, we touched on it with Sanderson, but it's like it's really tough sometimes when you're de- dependent on getting the puck to someone and then doing something with it. A lot of times, plays can just die, and defenseman can look worse because of that. I, his tape is is very enticing in terms of how sort of smooth and effortless everything looks. Maybe effortless to a fault sometimes, but um, I, I really like his ability to just cover ground. And I think he's going to be. You mentioned Suter with uh, with Sanderson. I think of. 
Ryan Suter's ability to just like eat up minutes because he expends so little energy getting around the ice. I see that a lot with Drysdale, where I think he's going to be able to just play out there as much as you want him to, similar to a Suter or a Doughty, just because uh, he's so sort of uh, economical, I guess, with it with his movements. So I, I really like Drysdale, and it, I wonder what he's been thinking during this entire draft process, watching the opinions shift so much between him and Sanderson without anything really like not by any of his fault by any means. Yeah. It's interesting to, for sure, because uh, it's funny. I wrote a, I wrote a big article on him for EP ringside too. And, and I, I went into it thinking that it was going to be this glowing report on this amazing, you know, he's such a terrific skater and he has so, so much offensive creativity and he can walk the line and he can set up players and he can shoot it himself. And, at the end of it, it ended up being a bit more of a critique than anything else because he's almost frustrating because he could do so much. He could, right. you know, he, he has that ability at any given time on the ice. He's probably the best skater. And so it's like, get up and go like every time, every time, let's just go. And then, you know, he, he can sometimes miss better options that are available to him. And so that I don't, I'm just wondering if he has that that quick enough processing speed to assess and, and realize that, okay, I got three options. Number two is the best. Let's go. Um, versus being like, I'm taking first option here and it still might be fine, but it's going to limit the effectiveness of that play moving forward in, in some instances. So, uh, you know, I just, I really like him as a player. I often gravitate to guys that are, you know, not, not huge, but just have that insane skating ability on the back end. You know, I had Quinn Hughes at number three on my board back, back when, and, uh, you know, Miro Hiskinen, I had at number two. And so I usually elevate these guys up my board, but, uh, this one, this time I've actually slid him back a little bit because I think the questions about his decision-making while they're not glaring to a fault, I think that they are reasonable to ask the question is that when time and space is becomes even more limited in the NHL is his ability to process and, and make quick and, and decisive decisions going to be, get any better. And I, and I, I think that that's a valid question and a valid concern, but at the same time, the physical tools, despite it being in not a huge package are, are very, very enticing and very tantalizing. And, and I think a team will jump on him, you know, maybe earlier than we have here too. All right. Uh, I'm on the clock here with Minnesota at nine and I have to take this player just because he's the best player available. I don't personally Love the player. Well, I, I'm I'm concerned, but I have to take Cole Perfetti here, right? Like it's it's crazy that he's still on the board, and the two defensemen went ahead of him. Um, 111 points in 61 games behind just Marco Rossi in the OHL. Uh, 244 shots on goal, which was top 10 amongst names like Kaliev, McMichael, and Nick Robertson. Bob McKenzie on his board had him fifth ahead of Rossi and Raymond, which is a bit too rich for me. But I don't know, like. Cam, I, I know you had him really high on your recent board, and you seem to think that you're not too worried about the actual foot speed just because that processing speed we talk about will allow him to play much faster than skate fast, so it's, it might not be um, an issue. I don't know. Like We, we did talk about uh, Stutzla and how much teams are attacking off the rush now, and it does worry me a little bit because um, players who like just create in the offensive zone is valuable, but... Um, if you're one-dimensional in that regard, I'm concerned about what the offensive upside really is translating to the NHL. Yeah, you know, I liken him to a player like Nicholas Backstrom, who, you know, didn't have and never did have a, elite speed, but he had, he always had an elite brain. And, you know, he was obviously one of the, uh, one of this generation's top passers. 
and having Ovechkin next to him didn't hurt that one bit for his point totals, but he was such an impactful player. And like you said earlier, Dim, is that, you know, the the very best players, they dictate the pace of play. And so for, for Perfetti, I don't think his skating is all that bad. It's just average. And, and I think that that can still be improved upon. He's a player that is highly, highly intelligent. And I think that guys like that can break down their skill sets and figure out a way to improve them. And, you know, he's a hard worker. He's one of these kids who had just an elite shot as a 16, 17 year old in his draft minus one, you know, blew up the whole link. I had a great season and then came back in his draft eligible campaign and just added this layered distribution game that was, you know, arguably top three in the CHL um, as a draft eligible kid. And so you put that together is that we're looking at a guy who's going to have that, again, that gravitational pull where everyone's going to come around him, but they're going to have to sag off to respect his past. They're going to have to close out to respect his shot. And it's going to, it's going to cause headaches. And I think that I value, you processing speed and intelligence and awareness however you want to dictate that or or put a term on it is above all else and i think that if you if you have that ability you can overcome some flaws including maybe not being the fastest skater um but that's really the only flaw because he does have an incredible shot he plays well in the small ice with his puck skills and then you know the passing and the vision is is right up there too so i think this would be a home run for minnesota to to get themselves a future top six center who's locked in who has that one c upside as well yeah, I, I think that processing speed is really important because it's much easier to sort of just look at a player moving fast and 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 fall in love with it. But if you know where the puck needs to go or where everyone is going to be before they're there, um, it, it it gets you a long way. And it's kind of a bit of a cheat code. So I don't know. How, We've how do you also feel about seen Rachel? like instances where players who skate really fast but can't think that quickly um, aren't successful. And I think a good example of that is potentially Andreas Athanasiu, where he's one of the fastest skaters in the league, but his brain doesn't necessarily keep up with uh, his speed, and, and that hurts him, whereas you see maybe some of some slower skaters, um, but have great processing speed, um, they're, they're a little bit more successful. And so with Perfetti, I mean, I don't think he's going to be there at nine. I really don't. Um, and that's just a testament to the fact, like, yes, he's small. I don't care um he's like it's it's really hard to ignore the fact that he has scored at every single level um that he's been at and not just scored he scored at an elite level and so uh to me like that's just it's too difficult to ignore and he's really shown the ability this year to to make passes so he's not just a one-dimensional player and i think that that evolution shows me that that he's kind of on a, a really good development curve and i think um, if he gets himself into the right position um, where he's playing with uh, some good players, um, he could develop into a player that scores 40 goals. Like that, that really wouldn't surprise me and, and maybe be that, that 80 point player. Um, like I'm, I'm high on Perfetti. Um, and I think that Minnesota getting him when they are notoriously known for not scoring anything at any point in time, um, I think it'd be great for them. Um, Because I think that he would inject some some punch into that lineup that really they need. Uh, So at 10 on the board, if uh, if it goes this route and the Jets are up, like it's pretty much a slam dunk that they would take Anton Lundell, right? Yes. Considering their need for a center. (laughs) Yeah, it's too easy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like it, it, he's 
it's funny because he's kind of considered this like safe, boring option. But in terms of me picking him here at 10, I feel like I don't have too much to say about Anton Lundell. I feel like it's already kind of been covered and discussed. Is there any sort of um, like kind of more nuance to this discussion? Uh, like clearly doesn't have the flashiest skill, but everyone seems to agree that he's going to be a really good player and could very realistically be like one of those two-way second centers, which are immensely valuable at the NHL level and there aren't nearly enough of them to go around and if you can get that guy at 10 it seems like a pretty good pick I don't know is, is there more to it than than that it seems pretty simple I, I love him I, I wish I could get him higher up my board is that he's he's such a complete player and you know watching him at the world juniors two years ago is that he was he was just doing things out there just so effortlessly the, as a 16-year-old, just chucking sauce, getting in and retrieving pucks, um, being on the right side of players defensively, and then producing offense as well. He was leaned on in a role, uh, in a big-time role for that club, um, and he's doing the same thing. He's wearing an A in the league you know, this season. They just had their first game, and he scored himself a goal so far that I saw. Uh, he's a player, and I think he's going to be one of these guys that just quietly goes about his business and impacts the game. I liken him to a you know Pierre-Luc Dubois Um a guy who rose quickly in his draft year because he had such a monstrous development arc that that last season. But for Lundell, it's just been this steady progression of he is good. And and what I wanted to see from him is to unleash that shot uh, more often. And we've been seeing it through the preseason and a little bit now early on in season two is that, yeah, I think he's got one C upside too, just maybe not elite one C, but you know, on a, on a, depends on what team you're playing on that he could be a top line center, but otherwise on a contender, he'd be a very, very good second line center. Especially behind Mark Shifley. That seems like exactly. a good, good combo yeah. for him. Um, all right. So 11, the National Predators. Rachel, you're on the clock. What are you thinking? Um, I'm going to go with Seth Jarvis. Ooh, nice. um, I was debating between him and Askarov. Um, but I, I'm going to go with Seth Jarvis. I think that there's a potential he might not even be there. Um and that's just a testament like the guy is so skilled um mitch brown in our ep chats like like he loves him and i've started to watch him just because there's like not really a ton to watch and and i love all the same things mitch does um he's well-rounded like he 42 goals this year 56 assists like he's a facilitator he's a scorer um and it's just kind of one of those things where he had a he was not high on everyone's boards kind of going in, but then I think everyone sort of realized the impact that he was having in Portland and and just how much of an offensive facilitator and and bus driver he was. And if there's, A, he's the best player available for me right now, and B, if there's something Nashville needs, it's someone who can score. And, mm-hmm. and so I think... First of all, uh, I think John Hines would love this player because um, he fits right into the mold of the type of player that that Coach Hines likes. And so for me, um, Nashville taking him at eleven um, is almost a no-brainer. Yeah, he's so uh, nifty and elusive, kind of just dancing around with the puck. I think like he's not the fastest mover for a five ten winger, but what I did see was he's one of those players that shifts gears very easily so like he looks a lot faster than he actually is straight line because if you're defending him you're kind of on your toes like you're not really sure what he's going to do and so he can speed up or slow down really quickly and so that helps him get to places and like 
I, I think it's fair to wonder as a five ten winger whether he'll be able to do offensively what he did last year in Portland because he actually was attacking so much around the net and in tight areas. But I like that he he showed that he's capable of that, and I wasn't kind of just like a one trick pony. So I don't know. I just think the the volume of having 65 points in his final 31 games and how good he looked from the eye test. I get why people are a bit hesitant to fully buy in just because it kind of did come a little bit out of nowhere in terms of the production. And, um, and, and he is a bit undersized, but man, like the actual skill set itself looks very legit. Yeah. Like I think it's super hard to ignore. And I think Cam will, uh, will agree. I think he's seen Jarvis a little bit more than me. Yeah, I've watched a ton of Seth Jarvis this season, and you know, I I've had him as high as ten um, on my final board. He ends up fourteen just because you know I, I fell in love with a couple other guys. Uh, he's he's another one that I wish I could find a spot a little bit higher up the board. The what kind of knocked him down is that he's such a high conversion finisher because he just gets into those greasy areas. Like he finds a way to get into the paint and and muck it up and get the puck up and and hurry into the back of the net. And so the only question is that. At five foot ten, at one hundred and seventy five pounds, obviously he'll put, he'll pack on some weight. But is he able to get to those areas in the NHL as as effectively as he does now? And so I think you're absolutely right that he's he's not a traditional speedy winger, but he's he's creative. He changes gears effectively, and he can let it rip. He can you know get burning and and let a, a shot out from out high and, and beat a goaltender. So I think there there's going to be some avenues for him to be a really impactful top six winger and. At this spot, I, you know, like Rachel said, I could see him going a little bit earlier than that, too, that he, he might find his way into that top 10. Or, you know, I know, you know, definitively one club has him in round three. Uh, yeah. So there is a wide range of opinions on this guy. And so I this is where it gets silly. Yeah, <laughs> right. And, and you know, every every team's going to have a different board and, and they're going to they're going to value guys differently. But I cannot see you thinking that he's not a top 75 guy in this in this group, you know, let that's like, a Braden Point situation there. Right, exactly. And that's what we yeah. might see. And he doesn't have the same speed that Point did or does, but you know, right. neither did Braden Point when he got drafted either. So it's it's something Skating that is we'll the easiest thing to improve, quite literally. Other than strength, Fox but strength skills. is an off-ice thing. Um, All right. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. Seth Jarvis needs to be in the top three rounds for sure. I, I like him. I like him here. I, I had him at 12 on my board, so I think uh, it's a very reasonable pick. Um, Cam, you're up with the 12th pick for the Florida Panthers, which would be hilarious if you took Askarov. Um, you took my and, joke, yeah. But and then, oh, sorry, I, I, I apologize. Um, you but can he's going to go with 13. <laughs> just repeat it. And then 13 with the Hurricanes, you're also making that pick. So uh, give me the next two guys. Let's, let's hammer through this uh, lightning round style. All right, for sure. All right, I won't. I won't lean into the Askarov here at, for Florida, um, and then they might sign a new goalie. For, maybe they'll go get Markstrom too. Uh, no, uh, for them, for the Panthers, I'm going to go with Dawson Mercer. And so I love this kid. Uh, he's an intelligent, play creating forward. Um, maybe the best hands in the draft. You know, Jeremy Poye might give him a run for his money, but he can just work the small, small ice situations so so well and embarrass players. Um, not the speediest guy, not the biggest guy, six foot one eighty, but he's to me he's he's going to be a fun pro. He you know made the world junior team as an underage player last year and played a bit role for them and kind of moved up and down the lineup. And whenever you see that, that's that's a testament to a player's overall game when they come to Team Canada and they make it as a seventeen year old. Um, I guess for him he would have been eighteen already because he's a, an O one birthday. But even still, that's that's kind of a feather in his cap, and you can see that coaches love this player. Um, he's going to put up a ton of points this year playing with uh, Hendricks Lapierre if Lapierre 
here can stay healthy. Uh, he's he's going to be a good one. I, he's got versatility, center, right wing. I think the Panthers could use him all over their lineup, and and he's going to be a fun one for them. And then, uh, yeah, you guys nailed it. Yaro Askarov's going 13 to Carolina. Uh, I tweeted that out as soon as the the lottery balls saved the Leafs from getting first pick, and they ended up giving theirs away to to Carolina. Is that Askarov? Like, can you imagine if he goes there? He's in my mind, it's you know, it's debatable whether he's a top five talent in this group. It's just Me whether too. or not it's just whether or not you want to invest that much draft capital into a netminder because Could you I've see never Ottawa doing it. I could see I could see Ottawa doing it. I could see Detroit doing it. it. Like it's he's so so good. I've never scouted a goalie who didn't look like a sure thing as much as he does. Like he just looks like a sure bet to be a number one, maybe Vesna level quality netminder. And so you know you put that in Carolina with what they're building there is like watch out. The East is going to be pissed. I I, think- I spoke to someone who said that they think Askarov is going to be better than Vasilevsky. And that is an astonishing comparison, given how good Vasilevsky is. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see him going nine to the wild. Uh, If he gets the 13 here, I don't see him moving moving past 13. Maybe Carolina doesn't take him. Maybe they trade that pick. But I do think he probably will not make it past 13. Um, Yeah, I mean he kind of checks all the boxes. And I think we talked about players that have benefited from getting that D plus one tape out there now for a couple games. The fact that he's come out and stopped 76 of 78 shots in the KHL so far as an 18 year old is immensely impressive. Obviously he has all the physical tools. I, I don't know. I guess the question for taking a goalie this high is because there's a misconception. People don't think that goalies aren't valuable. They're clearly the most valuable position. It's our ability to both project that performance and also for it to continue and keep up. If everyone believes that the talent in Askarov is, is legit, then I guess the only question is how long will it take for him to actually come and provide a meaningful NHL value while he's still a cheap asset uh, before they have to pay him or, 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 or whatever. And you know, for Carey Price in his draft plus three season, he, he basically played 40 games. For Vasilevsky, draft plus three, he was playing. And then draft plus five, he was playing 50 games already, and he was basically their starter. Varlamov, similarly, three years after his draft. So I think that's kind of like a reasonable timeline. Probably it'll, it'll, it'll take a couple of years, but when he comes over, he'll probably be ready to play a, like a meaningful role for an NHL team, right? I think that's the kind of the perfect storm for him is that whoever takes him, they're going to know that we're going to expediate this, this, this train to the NHL because you can get him in, in two years, have him playing as, you know, a one, a one B situation where he's getting his feet wet. Then, you know, the next year again, platoon, maybe stealing some starts and then year three, he's pushing for your starter, but you might still be able to extend him on a long contract at, without paying huge money because he'll still be 22 um you know you don't have to uh, you don't have to wait until he's a draft plus five and he's a starter and then he plays another year as a starter and then you're paying him the big money uh that you might be able to to rush this guy a little bit because he's he's ready like he's He's he could be playing he could be playing full-time starter minutes in the khl the only reason he isn't is because he's playing for ska and and they just jack up everything and they're gonna they're gonna kind of baby him along a little bit but He's going to put up monster numbers in the K this year. He's going to do it again next year. And then I fully expect him to be ready to play 30, 35 games in the NHL. Well, and if let's say Carolina takes him, look at the goaltending in the Metro. You have Shostakovich in New York with the Rangers. You have Sorokin with the Islanders. You have sort of Mackenzie Blackwood with the Devils, although I don't think he's at the level of Shostakovich or Eskarov. Then you have Carolina potentially with Eskarov. You have Philly with Carter Hart, like, that is a murderer's row of goaltending in the mm-hmm. Metro. 
That'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. How about that Russian goalie factory? Vasilevsky, Samsonov, Shesterkin, Sorokin, even uh, Tarasov, Kachetkov, Askarov. I mean, it's it's uh, it's, yeah. it's looking pretty good. Um, yeah, I, I I wonder, you know, it's really shifted where people don't really invest in young goalies now, and and it's went totally the other way where it was like ten years ago. But I do think if the league does continue this movement of kind of getting younger and trying to find cheap ELC contributors. We've seen it with forwards. Defensemen have come along a bit slower now, but we're seeing teams rely on young young defensemen. If teams are actually willing to start playing goalies when they're 20, 21 years old and, and kind of milking those cheap years, then all of a sudden they could kind of become uh, more valuable assets. And clearly with a guy of his talent level, and, and as Cam said, he seems to be pretty ready to go. Uh, it might not be the worst um, worst investment for someone to take, especially once you get to this point of the draft. There's going to be good players that go after after this pick, but I don't think there's anyone with such can't miss upside where you can't justify the the lottery ticket that is Eskarov at this point. 100%. Yeah, I'd I'd agree. Uh, okay, well, Rachel, you're up at 14 with the Edmonton Oilers. Who it's like a 50 50 chance that they're going to trade this pick for someone who's I was probably say, not very I think, good. I think Edmonton trades this pick. If they don't. Um, I would be taking Jack Quinn here. Um, he's a right winger, and you just plop him right next to Connor McDavid, and you hope that everything goes smoothly because he is exactly the type of winger that Connor McDavid needs. He also, this is his range. Um, and I think that with Quinn, I mean, if you look at his 52 goals, 89 points, I, I think only Nick Robertson maybe had more goals in that little amount of of games and Jack Quinn kind of grew on me I wasn't a big fan of his at the beginning of the year but um as the year kind of went on uh he was more consistent with his play he was playing in more situations I thought um he he, there were multiple times I watched him and he scored a hat trick and all three goals were scored different ways and like the one time he scored a shorthanded goal then he scored like a goal kind of on a one-timer sort of thing but then the other one it was a greasy garbage goal driving to the net so i think he's shown that he can score in a number of different ways that are transferable in the nhl it's not this outside shooter and he's got the speed i mean no one's got mcdavid level speed per se that can think that quickly but he's got good speed he can think well you can really tell that he he anticipates well and i think that um the potential of him playing with McDavid or even Dreisaitl um, will be difficult to ignore for Edmonton. How do you feel about that, Cam? Yeah, I'm fine with it. Again, he, he falls into that next range of forwards. Uh, you know, I think he's 17 on my board, but, uh, you know, he knows how to finish, but he's not just that one-dimensional, like Rachel said. He, you know, he kills penalties for the 67s. He's defensively responsible. Uh, you know, I <clears throat> I don't think he's as dynamic as a many 50-goal scores in the OHL as draft-eligible kids. Um, so I don't expect him to have that level of upside in the NHL, but I think he's going to be able to pot a ton of goals and and be, be a consistent, reliable top six threat for them. And so, yeah, I'm cool with that at 14. Yeah, I think cool. he's more of like a 25 30 Mm-hmm. Cool guy as opposed to alexander holtz or uh cole perfetti type yeah all right um well cam since you are our draft draft expert here i'm going to trade you the 15th pick for the toronto maple leafs for future considerations because i want you to just talk about someone here instead 
I love it. Uh, okay, so if it's the Leafs, I think that they would get, you know, they might get wet and wild and go for Braden Schneider. Um, I'm not going to do it, though. I'm going to take my boy, Roddy on Amaroff here, mm-hmm. and I love this kid, and I've, I've been higher on him. I've had battles with some of the some of the team there in the slack for EP ringside on him all year. Um, he's just a player. He, he competes. He's always on the right side of the puck. He has great balance. He's got good core strength. He's not the biggest kid, um, and now we see he's seeing 20 minutes a night in the KHL early on the season, and he's putting up points. Like He, he let go of a beautiful wrist shot there on the power play yesterday. He's, he's just one of my favorite players. I think he's going to be versatile around the lineup. He's going to kill penalties. He's going to play in your power play. He's going to play in your top six. Um, you know, the Leafs are loaded up there, and, and they could go a bunch of different ways, and especially on the on the blue line, you know, Helga Granz or Braden Schneider or King Gooley. Um, but for me, I, I'm, I'm going to take Roddy on Amaroff in this spot, and, and just because I don't think we talked about him in the last one either there, Dim, so yeah. we, had to, we had to find a way to fit him in this time. All right. Well, I gave you that pick for future considerations, Rachel. I'll give you one here. Um I feel like every year there's a forward that somehow miraculously drops into the start of day two and they're like unavailable in that like 33 to 37 range. Who is a name that you're thinking could be undervalued that you really like and, and might kind of fall either to late first or early second? Uh, Hendricks Lapierre, hmm. I think, is is my guy. Uh, he had a neck injury uh, this past year, um, but... Like he's dynamic with the puck. Like he's so good. Um, and I personally, like, I think had he had the opportunity to, to play a full season, um, we're talking about this kid near the top 10, maybe not in the top 10, but I think we're talking about him in like the Seth Jarvis range. Um, but because of his injuries, um, I think that there's a potential that he falls uh, into the 20s, if not right out of the first round. And if you've got um, a team that that's willing to take a swing, um, like I could, I could see a team like New Jersey, or if Ottawa decides to keep their picks or not, who knows? Um, I could see them taking a swing on this guy because uh, there's a lot of tools there, and if you can develop and keep him healthy, um, there's a potential that you've got a legitimate top two center there. Cool, I like it. All right, um, I think that's going to be it for the mock draft. I like, I like it. I think we made some good picks. Uh, hopefully Anaheim takes our advice and pairs Egress with, with Holtz. That was our uh, number one recommendation. Um, plug some stuff. What, uh, where can people check the two of you out? Uh, what, do you, what do you got in the works? What are you going to be doing during the draft? Give, me a, give us a, little, a, couple, a couple teasers and a couple plugs. Uh, yeah, for me, I'm, you know, doing doing all the work at uh, Dauber Prospects and, and EP Ringside. We, we've got a lot of fun stuff coming up just leading up to the draft. Uh, you're going to see my name pop out on a ton of podcasts here the next few days, too. Hopefully not saying the same things over and over again. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can follow me at on Twitter at Hockey underscore Robinson. And yeah, just uh, just out there doing the work. And, and now we can finally focus on the 2021 kids fully and completely. And, and I can put these other ones on. I can forget about them once they're drafted to teams. Yeah, I mean, I'm. There's no more staff and graph at least for now, so I'm just kind of on Twitter. I'm doing my stuff for EP Ringside. Um, got a Byfield development article coming out in the next couple days. Um, but what's I guess maybe more interesting is over the next few months, I'll likely have some academic articles coming out about um, some drafting and development inefficiencies uh, in the NHL, and so it's maybe just a a bit of a different look at things. And so I'm not as public as I used to be per se. Um, but there's definitely some, some interesting research coming. And so I'm kind of excited about that. 
All right. Well, this was a blast. Uh, enjoy the draft. It, it really is the most wonderful time of the year, and I'm looking forward to it. And we'll uh, we'll catch up with both of you soon, sometime down the road. Sounds good, buddy. Thanks for having me. Before we get out of here, I just wanted to once again thank everyone for listening to today's show and supporting the podcast, and remind those of you that haven't yet, for whatever reason, you can help us out by just going and leaving a quick rating and review for the show. It only takes a couple minutes of your time. It's really easy to do, just a couple clicks, and it goes a long way to helping us and the show moving forward. So go give those five stars. You can leave a nice little personalized message or just keep it really simple, uh, whatever you have time for and whatever you, whatever you care to do. But really appreciate it. So thanks for listening, and hopefully you enjoyed the mock draft. Hopefully you enjoy the upcoming NHL entry draft, and we will be back very shortly to get ready for uh for for free agency and for signings and trades and looking forward to discussing all that player movement so until then here's the outro music the hockey pdo cast with dmitry filipovich follow on twitter at dim filipovich and on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey pdo cast